In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. My dear faithful, today is one of the two Sundays of the year where the church especially asks us to rejoice in the midst of a penitential season. We've now gone past the halfway point of Lent. We're, we're 22 days into Lent. You know, it's a 40-day period, so there's still 18 days remaining. And the, ch- the church tells us to rejoice because now we can sort of see the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, the Feast of Easter approaching quickly. The reward that will come to us by faithfully persevering in our penitential practices during this holy season. There are so many blessings waiting for us from our Lord. It's kind of represented in the multiplication of the loaves in, in the gospel of today. We see what our Lord is able to do. He's able to provide life to us. That's especially what we want to receive, the, the, the provision of, let me say, carnal, material, bodily, physical life is a symbol of his ability to provide us supernatural and eternal life. And while this is very appropriate, at this time of Lent, hopefully give us some motivation to be really faithful for the next three weeks in our penitential practices. It's also appropriate at this time of the history of the world and of the church. We've been living through a very difficult crisis of the church, probably the greatest crisis ever in the history of the church. And we've just, we've been trying to hold on to our faith and be faithful to God to save our souls even in these difficult times. Meanwhile, the church has been crumbling before our eyes in this past half century. And this has made many feel like the situation uh, seems hopeless and has tempted us to discourage them. I've seen so many times how faithful are very discouraged about the situation in the church and the world, and they're tempted to lose hope. And then out of nowhere, seemingly, um, there comes this, this act that we've been praying for for, for so long. The act of, of the consecration of Russia to the Immaculate Heart, something that had been done before, but, but had not been done in union with all the bishops of the world. So uh, Pius XII consecrated Russia to the Immaculate Heart. Uh, John Paul II consecrated Russia to the Immaculate Heart. But, but none of them did it in union with the bishops of the world. But as I'm sure you know, this past Friday, um, Pope Francis invited all the bishops of the world to join with him in making this act of consecration of all of humanity, but especially Russia and Ukraine, to the Immaculate Heart. And we know that there have been very great promises attached to this act um, when, when Our Lady came to Fatima in 1917. And what I want to do in, in order to encourage us uh, that being late Hari Sunday and the church wants to encourage us in our Lenten practices and we're kind of in this winter of the church and a very difficult time. I just want to speak a bit about the, the three secrets of Fatima and the promises that Our Lady gave to us um, and what, you know, it's purely speculation, what we, we might anticipate would be the fruits of this consecration that Pope Francis has made in union with the bishops of the world. So 
the whole secret, the whole the secret of Fatima, what we call the three secrets, um, they were given to the three children on July the 13th, 1917. So you know there were six apparitions between May and October. So this was the third apparition, you know, they had May, June, and July. They came on the 13th of each month. And uh, when Our Lady arrived on, on that day, um, Lucy, the, the, the oldest of the three children, she always started off by asking Our Lady a question, what does your grace want of me? And Our Lady gave her normal answer. She always told them, I want you to return on the 13th of each month, and I want you to pray the rosary every day. She said that every single time, I want you to pray the rosary every day. And she promised to work a miracle on October the 13th, the last apparition, so that everybody would believe in the truth of the apparitions. And she asked the, the, the children to sacrifice themselves for sinners and, and to pray a certain prayer when they, when they made penances, when they performed penances uh, on behalf of the conversion of sinners. She s said that they were to offer this, this prayer, this following prayer. Oh Jesus, it is for the love of you, for the conversion of sinners, and in reparation for the sins committed against the Immaculate Heart of Mary. But it seems that Our Lady also wanted to give the children a very great motivation to do these penances for the conversion of sinners. She wanted to show them the consequences of sin in a very graphic and startling way. And so, as you know, she sort of opened the earth up and gave them a vision of what it's like in hell, where, where they saw these, these souls being tossed about like embers in a fire. Um, a very, very terrifying sight that uh, the children probably would not have been able to bear in continuing their life if she had not also told them something that's, that's rather striking, and that is that they would go to heaven. Um, it's very, very rare. If even um, never has even happened in the history of the church that, that uh, somebody's told you're going to go to heaven. We, we certainly don't have that information ourselves. It's typically not good to know that. But the fact is that if the children were to see this vision of hell and not knowing that they were not going to get, go there, it might have been very, very difficult for them to bear that vision, even the thought of the possibility of them being damned, especially as young as they were. Immediately after this vision, Our Lady gave the children the secrets of Fatima. Um, and there are those secrets, those three secrets, were summarized in her first statement, the first thing she said after the vision. She said, You have seen hell, where the souls of poor sinners go. To save them, God wishes to establish in the world devotion to my Immaculate Heart. So she is revealing to the children a special disposition of the providence of God that. Our world is full of the wickedness and the pride of men, and sin has always existed. But at different times, different periods of the world, God has uh, different measures that he takes in order to heal the human race and to lift it up from its state of sinfulness and damnation. And our age is an age of our lady, by the will of God, that this is the solution that he desires as the remedy to the problems of our own time. Devotion to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. This is a very fitting plan. I mean, he wants all of us to 
except as our mother, the mother who he chose for himself. Um, he wants us to humble ourselves before the humblest of his creatures, and, uh, through whom we receive all graces. He wants to especially highlight the fact that Our Lady is the mediatrix of all graces. So there's this result uh, that, that we draw from, from this message that if we are devoted to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, we will be saved. If we are not devoted to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, we will be damned. Um, she says, my Immaculate Heart will be your refuge if we reject that remedy of God because he's God. He gets to decide how we're saved. If we reject that, uh, then we're going to be lost. So the first secret is that the devotion to the Immaculate Heart is God's means for the salvation of men in our times. And it's a necessary, it's a necessary means. It's not an optional means for the salvation of souls. The second secret is not really different from the first secret. It's not, it's not going to give a different remedy for our times. It's just going to specify the conditions um, under which the devotion to the Immaculate Heart is to be practiced. It gives a greater precision to the alternative proposed in the, the first secret, either heaven or hell, based on whether you have devotion or do not. Um, obviously, we don't have the third secret. I mean, supposedly the third secret was revealed to us in the year 2000, but it's just a vision. It's not an instruction from Our Lady. It's just a vision. So it doesn't tell us what to do. Um, so we're thinking there's probably something else that's involved in the third secret. But she continued to give the, she continued to speak to the children. She said, if, if what I say to you is done, many souls will be saved and there will be peace. The war is going to end, World War I. But if people do not cease offending God, a worse one will break out during the reign of Pius XI. When you see a knight illumined by an unknown light, know this, that, that this is a great sign given to you by God that he is about to punish the world for its crimes by means of war, famine, and persecutions of the church and of the Holy Father. To prevent this, I shall come to ask for the consecration of Russia to my Immaculate Heart and the communion of reparation on the first Saturdays. If my requests are heeded, Russia will be converted and there will be peace. If not, she will spread her errors throughout the world, causing wars and persecutions of the church. The good will be martyred, and the Holy Father will have much to suffer. Various nations will be annihilated. And then there's the third secret, and she finally, at the very end, all we know is at the very end, she says, in the end, my immaculate heart will triumph. So in the second secret, we have the concrete ways in which um, God wants the devotion to the Immaculate Heart to be practiced. Um, there's the five first Saturdays of reparation, doing the same work of reparation for sin uh, that, that Our Lady tells the children to practice when she gives them that prayer to pray uh, when they're doing their penances. You know, that this is for reparation to the Immaculate Heart. So we're supposed to do those five first Saturdays and you don't just have to do five. I mean, you, you don't say, okay, you check that box when you've done five first Saturdays and then you can stop. But, but you can continue to do uh, reparations. You can do con communions of reparation every time you go to communion, if, if you would like, you know, to, to assist in this work uh, that Our Lady asks us to do. 
And then secondly, the consecration of Russia to the Immaculate Heart. And we can ask ourselves, and I think it's a helpful question for us to ask, um, why would God desire to make this consecration as a condition for peace in the world? I mean, God has all power. He can do whatever He wants. He can intervene at any time into human history. He can make any miracle whatsoever. But it seems that he's saying, okay, as a condition for me intervening and providing a solution to these, all these problems introduced by the sins of mankind, this consecration of Russia has to take place. Why make it conditional on the consecration of Russia? Well, it's clear, as I say, that, that God wants the world to be devoted to his mother that he wants the world to recognize, to see that his mother, that he has appointed his mother to be the mediatrix of all graces. And so what he does is, is he makes it a condition and he allows the non-fulfillment of that condition to result in huge problems in the world, in the church, where the crisis in the world and the church has gone now very far because the requests have not been heeded. So that when the consecration is done, we will see by, by the transformation that takes place that, that clearly this was a result of that consecration. Um, everybody will see that indeed it was through the mother of God that the world was restored or the problems in the world were solved. This is exactly what Sister Lucy said in a letter that she wrote in 1936. She says, A little while ago I asked our Lord why he will not convert Russia unless his holiness does this consecration. Because, our Lord said, I want my entire church to recognize this consecration as a triumph of the Immaculate Heart of Mary in order thereafter to extend and place devotion to her Immaculate Heart alongside that to my Sacred Heart. This is, God's, this is simply God's plan or the history of our salvation, that, that Our Lady start off her life, her, her existence, being completely and utterly unknown. I mean, during her, life, her lifetime, she was, she was not known by anybody as being the Mother of God, as being the greatest creature of God. And then after her death, slowly but surely, the devotion to Our Lady began to grow in the church. And um, the titles appropriate to her began to appear, more and more titles added to her litany. And her influence and her intervention into human history increased more and more apparitions of Our Lady. So we come to the modern day when there is this incredible apparition out of Fatima, and um, sort of the message has a, a worldwide import that, that it's, it's not just like Lourdes, which mainly concern France, um, or even, even the message of the Sacred Heart to St. Margaret Mary, which mainly concerned France and the consecration of France to, to the Sacred Heart. But this has a worldwide impact. Um, we see the, the worldwide impact by the fact that the, the request is being made that, that all the bishops of the world make this, this act of consecration. You know that the bishops of the world typically only unite together when they have an ecumenical council. There's one, been 21 ecumenical councils of of the church, and it's, they're called ecumenical because they gather all the bishops of the world. But so this this request is is that somehow um, 
all, all of the bishops like as if they're in an ecumenical council when they're making a decree that they unite themselves in making this act of consecration. So this, as I say, is, is what was done this past Friday. I mean, I, I myself went and, and looked at a one-minute video by Catholic World Report, I think, or EWTN, I can't remember, um, that, that just it focused on the exact words of, of the consecration, the most important words of the consecration. You can hear the Pope reciting these words of consecration. He's sitting there in front of a statue of Our Lady of Fatima, and afterwards he sort of hobbles over the statue and puts some, some flowers there. And, and some people have, you know, and there are always going to be these kind of people, but they're just like, well, he didn't address Our Lady with the proper title. There's this weird title that he gives to Our Lady, Lady uh, Tierra del, del Cielo, you know, and it, which basically means Earth of Heaven. Um, and the, the, the thing is, that title is actually a traditional title for Our Lady in the Eastern Church. Um, and since he's making a consecration that concerns the East, it's kind of appropriate to use an Eastern sort of title for Our Lady. Um, Our Lady is the earth to which heaven comes, um, in, in the sense that her womb is the earth on um, which our Lord landed. That is really the, the, the origin of this title for Our Lady. It's a, it's a little different title. But regardless, I mean, it's so obvious that Pope Francis was wanting to fulfill the request of Our Lady of Fatima. He's saying the prayer in front of the, the statue of Our Lady of Fatima. He's aware that she requested all the bishops um, needed to be involved. He asked them to be involved. He, asked, he sent a cardinal to Portugal, to Fatima, Portugal, to be there to make the act of consecration there. So, I mean, it's just so obvious what the intent of the Pope is. He's really wanting, he really wanted to do, um, fulfill the, the request of Our Lady of Fatima. So, um, what, what can we expect um, from this consecration? We, we definitely have to see that, that for sure, the, the situation which we're in in the world and the church is very bad. I mean, um, communism seemed to be dead somehow, but now it's, it's spreading like, like wildfire. Um, so many countries in the Western world are socialist or, or running on communist principles. Even in just in the past six months in our own country, we've seen how it's suddenly turned, taken a very, very socialist turn. Um, we've, we've recently experienced a sort of frightening tyranny with the coronavirus measures taken everywhere. Um, we know that public school education is, is an abomination today. Uh, modern entertainment is, is so debased. The world is flooded with filth and impurity. Um, there's, and there's so much immense pressure to support in the public sphere, every manner of perversion against the natural law, the perversions against the natural law even being taken way beyond homosexuality, sort of the Old Testament crimes that we're familiar with that, that merited the, the fire and brimstone from heaven. We've gone way past that in our 21st century world and trying to sort of flout the law of God and throw things back uh, in the face of God. Meanwhile, in the church, she has been suffering the worst crisis in her history for the period of half a century. There's no more respect for God. There's a great lack of faith in the Blessed Sacrament. You know, less than 50% of Catholics even believe in the real presence anymore because of the new Mass, which does not show uh, the Blessed Sacrament respect owed to God. Catholics have left the church by hundreds of thousands, including so many priests and nuns. Um, there's hardly any vocations 
baptisms and marriages are way down today, and the truths of the faith are not taught properly. There's very little proper catechesis today. And so we're living in this terrible winter of, of the church and the world, and because of that state, because that's, that's where we are right now in 2022, um, it will be very easy for us to tell if God does intervene, if, if Our Lady does intervene in, in the world as, it's, as it stands right now, um, it will be very, very striking that something has happened. And I, I just want to give you a little example of the possibilities. Um, there's a man by the name of Kennedy Hall. He's, he's a SSPX supporter, but he, he wrote an article about the consecration, and he gave an example of something that happened in Portugal that that I think is is very good, a very good reference point for us to show how quickly things can turn around by the grace of God. I mean, things may be really, really, really bad, um, but of course, God can use merely human means to turn things around very, very rapidly. So you know that the apparitions happened in Fatima in 1917. But the country was Freemasonic at that time, um, and very much under the Freemasonic yoke. And even after the apparitions, I mean, there was a certain revival of faith and, and so on, but still, the, the condition of the country was very bad. But then, in 1931, the bishops of Portugal decided to consecrate the country to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And it was amazing what happened in a very, very short time in Portugal, just after they made this consecration. There was a very devout Catholic um, by the name of Antonio Salazar who came to power in Portugal the following year. And he transformed the country in a very short time. He basically kicked the Freemasons out of the country. He caused there to be a reflourishing of the Catholic faith. And uh, everybody started flocking back to church after he came into power. The seminaries that, that were becoming practically empty, they, they, in, a, in a very short time, and I don't, I, wanna, I don't have the numbers with me, but the numbers, we have actually concrete numbers, and they're very striking. The seminaries were overflowing in a short time. And the, the, the peace that was given to Portugal was very striking. They did not have a communist revolution within their own country, and when their neighboring country, Spain, underwent a very, very terrible civil war, um, and they were just right, right next door, somehow Portugal was not involved. The, the Portugal remained unscathed, and then when World War II happened, again, Portugal was not involved in World War II. So they had this long period of peace when the rest of the world was going crazy. So the, the turnaround there, after 1931, it was sudden, it was unexpected, and it brought with it a great flourishing of the Catholic faith. And my dear faithful, I mean, I think this is what, this is what we have to, to hope for um, with this consecration that has been done on Friday um, because we believe in the, in the promises of Our Lady. She's, she's promised the conversion of Russia. We, we have to hope that something similar would, would happen in Russia, that Russia would be provided a good leader, that somehow that leader embraced the Catholic faith, that he bring many Russians to the practice of the Catholic faith, they cause a flourishing of Catholicism, 
in the country, that, that peace come to Russia, that, that Russia stop spreading its errors, its communist errors around the world. Um, and instead, it starts spreading the, the truths of God. I think it's fair enough for us to, to hope for these things, to, to be cautiously optimistic that some of these things might happen. Um, and as well, because we don't know exactly the third secret, I think it probably concerns the church. We can hope for a renewal in the Catholic Church. It's so sad to see the church in the condition that she's in. We can be cautiously optimistic that there is a renewal coming for the church. But on, on this Sunday, um, where we are in the middle of Lent, but we're past the halfway point, we may say we're in the midst of this crisis in the church. It is important for us to keep hope. And now we have a very, very great motive for that, the fact that this consecration to Russia has been done. So renew your hope at this time on this Laetare Sunday. Um, be very fervent and continue to be fervent in your Lenten practices. And then when, when Easter comes, and God willing, um, the, the rest of this year, many graces may come upon us and the world at large. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.